0: The Autobiography of Goethe Volume 1 by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford. Section 24. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The autobiography of Goethe Volume 1 by Johann von Goethe, translated by John Oxenford section twenty four on this occasion i cannot forbear recalling somewhat of my earlier youth in order to make it obvious that the great affairs of the ecclesiastical religion must be carried on with order and coherence if they are to prove as fruitful as is expected the protestant service has too little fulness and consistency to be able to hold the congregation together hence it easily happens that members secede from it and either form little congregations of their own or without ecclesiastical connection quietly carry on their citizen life side by side thus for a considerable time complaints were made that church-goers were diminishing from year to year and just in the same ratio the persons who partook of the lord's supper with respect to both but especially the latter the cause lies close at hand but who dares to speak it out we will make the attempt in moral and religious as well as in physical and civil matters man does not like to do anything on the spur of the moment he needs a sequence from which results habit but he is to love and to perform what he is to love and to perform He cannot represent to himself as single or isolated. And if he is to repeat anything willingly, it must not have become strange to him. If the Protestant worship lacks fullness in general, so let it be investigated in detail, and it will be found that the Protestant has too few sacraments. Nay, indeed, he has only one in which he is himself an actor, the Lord's Supper. For baptism he sees only when it is performed on others and is not greatly edified by it the sacraments are the higher part of religion the symbols to our senses of the extraordinary divine favor and grace in the lord's supper earthly lips are to receive a divine being embodied and partake of a heavenly under the form of an earthly nourishment this import is the same in all kinds of christian churches whether the sacrament is taken with more or less submission to the mystery with more or less accommodation as to that which is intelligible it always remains a great holy thing which in reality takes the place of the possible or the impossible the place of that which man can neither attain nor do without but such a sacrament should not stand alone no christian can partake of it with the true joy for which it is given if the symbolical or sacramental sense is not fostered within him he must be accustomed to regard the inner religion of the heart and that of the external churches as perfectly one as the great universal sacrament which again divides itself into so many others and communicates to these parts its holiness indestructibleness and eternity here a youthful pair join hands not for a passing salutation or for the dance, the priest pronounces his blessing upon them, and the bond is indissoluble. It is not long before this wedding pair bring a likeness to the threshold of the altar. It is purified with holy water, and so incorporated into the church, that it cannot forfeit this benefit, but through the most monstrous apostasy. The child, in the course of life, goes on progressing in earthly things of its own accord in heavenly things he must be instructed does it prove on examination that this has been fully done he is now received into the bosom of the church as an actual citizen as a true and voluntary professor not without outward tokens of the weightiness of his act now only he is decidedly a christian now for the first time he knows his advantages and also his duties but in the meantime a great deal that is strange has happened to him as a man through instruction and affliction he has come to know how critical appears the state of his inner self and there will constantly be a question of doctrines and of transgressions but punishment shall no longer take place for here in the infinite confusion in which he must entangle himself amid the conflict of natural and religious claims an admirable expedient is given him in confiding his deeds and misdeeds his infirmities and doubts to a worthy man appointed expressly for that purpose who knows how to calm to warn to strengthen him to chasten him likewise by symbolical punishments and at last by a complete washing away of his guilt to render him happy and to give him back pure and cleansed the tablet of his manhood thus prepared and purely set at rest by several sacramental acts which on closer examination, branch forth again into minuter sacramental traits, he kneels down to receive the host, and that the mystery of this high act may be still enhanced, he sees the chalice only in the distance. It is no common eating and drinking that satisfies, it is a heavenly feast which makes him thirst after heavenly drink. Let not the youth believe that this is all he has to do let not even the man believe it. In earthly relations we are at last accustomed to depend on ourselves, and even there knowledge, understanding, and character will not always suffice. In heavenly things, on the contrary, we will never finish learning. The higher feeling within us, which often finds itself not even truly at home, is, besides, oppressed by so much from without that our own power hardly administers all that is necessary for counsel, consolation, and help. But to this end that remedy is instituted for our whole life, and an intelligent, pious man is continually waiting to show the right way to the wanderers, and to relieve the distressed. And what has been so well tried through the whole life is now to show forth all its healing power, with tenfold activity at the gate of death with a capital d according to a trustful custom inculcated from youth upwards the dying man receives with fervour those symbolical significant assurances and there where every earthly warranty fails he is assured by a heavenly one of a blessed existence for all eternity he feels perfectly convinced that neither a hostile element nor a malignant spirit can hinder him from clothing himself with a glorified body so that in immediate relations with the godhead with a capital g he may partake of the boundless happiness which flows forth from him then in conclusion that the whole may be made holy the feet also are anointed and blessed they are to feel, even in the event of possible recovery, a repugnance to touching this earthly, hard, impenetrable soil. A wonderful elasticity is to be imparted to them, by which they spurn from under them the clod of earth, which hitherto attracted them. And so, through a brilliant cycle of equally holy acts, the beauty of which we have only briefly hinted at, the cradle and the grave, however far asunder they may chance to be, are joined in one continuous circle. But all these spiritual wonders spring not, like other fruits, from the natural soil, where they can neither be sown, nor planted, nor cherished. We must supplicate for them from another region, a thing which cannot be done by all persons, nor at all times. Here we meet the highest of these symbols, derived from pious tradition we are told that one man may be more favoured blessed and sanctified from above than another but that this may not appear as a natural gift this great boon bounded up with a heavy duty must be communicated to others by one authorized person to another and the greatest good that a man can attain without his having to obtain it by his own wrestling or grasping must be preserved and perpetuated on earth by spiritual inheritance in the very ordination of the priest is comprehended all that is necessary for the effectual solemnizing of those holy acts by which the multitude receive grace without any other activity being needful on their part than that of faith and implicit confidence and thus the priest joins the line of his predecessors and successors in the circle of those anointed with him representing the highest source of blessings so much the more gloriously as it is not he the priest whom we reverence but his office it is not his nod to which we bow the knee but the blessing which he imparts and which seems the more holy and to come the more immediately from heaven because earthly instrument cannot at all weaken or invalidate it by its own sinful nay wicked nature how is this truly spiritual connection shattered to pieces in protestantism by part of the above-mentioned symbols being declared apophical and only a few canonical and how by their indifference to one of these will they prepare us for the high dignity of the others in my time i had been confided to the religious instruction of a good old infirm clergyman who had been confessor of the family for many years the catechism a paraphrase of it and the scheme of salvation i had at my fingers ends i lacked not one of the strongly proving biblical texts but from all this i reaped no fruit for as they assured me that the honest old man arranged his chief examination according to an old set form i lost all pleasure and inclination for the business spent the last week in all sorts of diversions laid in my hat the loose leaves borrowed from an older friend Who had gotten them from the clergyman and unfeelingly and senselessly read aloud all that i should have known how to utter with feeling and conviction but i found my good intention and my aspirations in this important matter still more paralyzed by a dry spiritless routine when i was now to approach the confessional i was indeed conscious of having many failings but no great faults and that very consciousness diminished them, since it directed me to the moral strength which lay within me, and which, with resolution and perseverance, was at last to become master over the old Adam. We were taught that we were much better than the Catholics for the very reason that we were not obliged to confess anything in particular in the confessional, nay, that this would not be at all proper, even if we wished to do it i did not like this at all for i had the strangest religious doubts which i would readily have had cleared up on such an occasion now as this was not to be done i composed a confession for myself which while it well expressed my state of mind was to confess to an intelligent man in general terms that which i was forbidden to tell him in detail but when i entered the old choir of the barefoot friars when i approached the strange latticed closets in which the revered gentleman used to be found for that purpose when the sexton opened the door for me when i now saw myself shut up in the narrow place face to face with my spiritual grand shire, and he bade me welcome with his weak nasal voice all the light of my mind and heart was extinguished at once the well conned confessional speech would not cross my lips in my embarrassment, I opened the book I had in my hand and read from it the first short form i saw, which was so general that anybody might have spoken it with quite a safe conscience. I received absolution and withdrew neither warm nor cold, went the next day with my parents to the table of the lord, and for a few days behaved myself as was becoming after so holy an act. In the sequel, however, there came over me that evil which from the fact of our religion being complicated by various dogmas and founded on texts of scripture which admit of several interpretations attacks scrupulous men in such a manner that it brings on a hypochondriacal condition and raises this to its highest point to fixed ideas i have known several men who though their manner of thinking and living was perfectly rational could not free themselves from thinking about the sin against the holy spirit and from the fear that they had committed it a similar trouble threatened me on the subject of the communion for the text that one who unworthily partakes of the sacrament eateth and drinketh damnation to himself had very early already made a monstrous impression upon me every fearful thing that i had read in the histories of the middle ages of the judgments of god of those most strange ordeals by red-hot iron flaming fire swelling water and even what the bible tells us of the drought which agrees well with the innocent but puffs up and bursts the guilty all this pictured itself to my imagination and formed itself into the most frightful combinations since false vows hypocrisy perjury blasphemy all seemed to weigh down the unworthy person at this most holy act which was so much the more horrible as no one could dare to pronounce himself worthy and the forgiveness of sins by which everything was to be at last done away was found limited by so many conditions that one could not with certainty dare appropriate it to one's self this gloomy scruple troubled me to such a degree, and the expedient which they would represent to me as sufficient seemed so bald and feeble that it gave the bugbear only a more fearful aspect. And as soon as I had reached Leipzig, I tried to free myself altogether from my connection with the church. How oppressive then must have been to me the exhortations of Galer, whom, considering the generally laconic style with which he was obliged to repel our obtrusiveness i was unwilling to trouble with such singular questions and the less so as in my more cheerful hours i weigh myself ashamed of them and at last left completely behind me this strange anguish of conscience together with church and altar galert in accordance with his pious feelings had composed for himself a course of ethics which from time to time he publicly read and thus in an honourable manner acquitted himself of his duty to the public galer's writings had already for a long time been the foundation of german moral culture and every one anxiously wished to see that work printed but as this was not to be done until after the good man's death people thought themselves very fortunate to hear him deliver it himself in his lifetime the philosophical auditorium footnote: the lecture-room the word is also used in university language to denote a professor's audience And a footnote was at such times crowded and the beautiful soul the pure will and the interest of the noble man in our welfare his exhortations warnings and entreaties uttered in a somewhat hollow and sorrowful tone made indeed an impression for the moment but this did not last long the less so as there were many scoffers who contrived to make us suspicious of his tender and as they thought enervating manner i remember a frenchman travelling through the town who asked what were the maxims and opinions of the man who attracted such an immense concourse when we had given him the necessary information he shook his head and said smiling Lesis le faire il nous forme des dupes and thus also did good society which cannot easily endure anything worthy near it know how to spoil on occasion the moral influence which Gallert might have had upon us now it was taken ill of him that he instructed the deans of distinction and wealth who were particularly recommended to him better than the other students and had a marked solicitude for them now he was charged with selfishness and nepotism for causing a table de hotel to be established for these young men at his brother's house his brother a tall good-looking blunt unceremonious and somewhat coarse man had it was said been a fencing-master and notwithstanding the too great lenity of his brother the noble boarders were often treated harshly and roughly hence the people thought they must again take the part of these young folks and pulled about the good reputation of the excellent galert to such a degree that in order not to be mistaken about him we became indifferent towards him and visited him no more yet we always saluted him in our best manner when he came riding along on his tame grey horse this horse the elector had sent him to oblige him to take an exercise so necessary for his health a distinction for which he was not easily to be forgiven and thus by degrees the epoch approached when all authority was to vanish from before me and i was to become suspicious nay to despair even of the greatest and best individuals whom i had known or imagined frederick the second still stood at the head of all the distinguished men of the century in my thoughts and it must therefore have appeared very surprising to me that i could praise him as little before the inhabitants of leipzig as formerly in my grandfather's house they had felt the hand of war heavily it is true and therefore they were not to blame for not thinking the best of him who had begun and continued it they therefore were willing to let him pass as a distinguished but by no means as a great man there was no art they said in performing something with great means and if one spares neither lands nor money nor blood one may well accomplish one's purpose at last frederick had shown himself great in none of his plans and in nothing that he had properly speaking undertaken so long as it depended on him he had only gone on making blunders and what was extraordinary in him had only come to light when he was compelled to make these blunders good again it was purely from this that he had obtained his great reputation since every man wishes for himself the same talent for making good in a clever way the blunders which he frequently commits if one goes through the seven years war step by step it will be found that the king quite uselessly sacrificed his fine army and that it was his own fault that this ruinous feud had been protracted to so great a length a truly great man in general would have got the better of his enemies much sooner that was the end of a quotation in support of these opinions they could cite infinite details which i did not know how to deny and i felt the unbounded reverence which i had devoted to this remarkable prince from my youth upwards gradually cooling away as the inhabitants of leipzig had now destroyed for me the pleasant feeling of revering a great man so did a new friend whom i gained at the time very much diminish the respect which i entertained for my present fellow-citizens this friend was one of the strangest fellows in the world he was named berich and was tutor to the young count dindenau even his exterior was singular enough lean and well-built far advanced in his thirties a very large nose and altogether marked features he wore from morning till night a scratch which might well have been called a peruke he dressed himself very neatly and never went out but with his sword by his side and his hat under his arm he was one of those men who have quite a peculiar gift of killing time or rather who know how to make something out of nothing in order to pass time away everything he did had to be done with slowness and with a certain deportment which might have been called affected if beriche had not even by nature had something affected in his manner he resembled an old frenchman and also spoke and wrote french very well and easily his greatest delight was to busy himself seriously about drolleries and to follow up without end any silly notion thus he was constantly dressed in gray and as the different parts of his attire were of different material and also of different shades he could reflect for whole days as to how he could procure one gray more for his body and was happy when he had succeeded in this and could put to shame us who had doubted it or had pronounced it impossible he then gave us long severe lectures about our lack of inventive power and our want of faith in his talents for the rest he had studied well was particularly versed in the modern languages and their literature and wrote an excellent hand he was very well disposed towards me and i having been always accustomed and inclined to the society of older persons soon attached myself to him my intercourse served him too for a special amusement since he took pleasure in taming my restlessness and impatience with which on the other hand i gave him enough to do in the art of poetry he had what is called taste a certain general opinion about the good and the bad the mediocre intolerable but his judgment was rather censorious and he destroyed even the little faith in contemporary writers which i cherished within me by unfeeling remarks which he knew how to advance with wit and humour about the writings and poems of this man and that he received my productions with indulgence and let me have my own way but only on the condition that i should have nothing printed he promised me on the other hand that he himself would copy those pieces which he thought good and would present me with them in a handsome volume this undertaking now afforded an opportunity for the greatest possible waste of time for before he could find the right paper before he could make up his mind as to the size before he had settled the breadth of the margin and the form of handwriting before the crow quills were provided and cut into pens and indian ink was rubbed whole weeks past without the least bit having been done with just as much ado he always set about his writing and really by degrees put together a most charming manuscript the title of the poems was in german text the verses themselves in a perpendicular saxon hand and at the end of every poem was an analogous vignette which he had either selected somewhat or other, or had invented himself, and in which he contrived to imitate very neatly the hatching of the woodcuts and tail pieces which are used for such purposes. To show me these things as he went on, to celebrate beforehand in a comical, pathetical manner, my good fortune in seeing myself immortalized in such exquisite handwriting and that, in a style which no printing-press could attain, gave another occasion for passing the most agreeable hours. In the meantime his intercourse was always secretly instructive by reason of his liberal acquirements, and, as he knew how to subdue my restless, impetuous disposition, was also quite wholesome for me in a moral sense. He had, too, quite a peculiar abhorrence of roughness and his jests were always quaint without ever falling into the coarse or the trivial. He indulged himself in a distorted aversion from his countrymen, and described with ludicrous touches even what they were able to undertake. He was particularly inexhaustible in a comical representation of individual persons, as he found something to find fault with in the exterior of every one. Thus, when we lay together at the window, he could occupy himself for hours, criticizing the passers-by, and when he had censured them long enough, in showing exactly and circumstantially how they ought to have dressed themselves, ought to have walked, and ought to have behaved, to look like ordinary people. Such attempts, for the most part, ended in something improper and absurd, so that we might not so much laugh at how the man looked, but at how perchance he might have looked had he been mad enough to caricature himself in all such matters bariche went quite unmercifully to work without being in the slightest degree malicious on the other hand we knew how to tease him on our side by assuring him that to judge from his exterior he must be taken if not for a french dancing-master at least for the academical teacher of the language this reproval was usually the signal for dissertations an hour long in which he used to set forth the difference wide as the heavens which there was between him and an old frenchman at the same time he commonly imputed to us all sorts of awkward attempts that we might possibly have made for the alteration and modification of his wardrobe my poetical compositions which i only carried on the more zealously as the transcript went on becoming more beautiful and more careful now inclined altogether to the natural and the true and if the subjects could not always be important i nevertheless always endeavoured to express them clearly and pointedly the more so as my friend often gave me to understand what a great thing it was to write down a verse on dutch paper with the crow-quill and the Indian ink, what time, talent, and exertion it required, which ought not to be squandered on anything empty and superfluous. He would, at the same time, open a finished parcel, and circumstantially to explain what ought not to stand in this or that place, or congratulate us that it actually did not stand there. He then spoke with great contempt of the art of printing, mimicked the compositor ridiculed his gestures and his hurried picking out of letters here and there and derived from this manoeuvre all the calamities of literature on the other hand he extolled the grace and noble posture of a writer and immediately sat down himself to exhibit it to us while he rated us at the same time for not demeaning ourselves at the writing-table precisely after his example and motto he now reverted to the contrast with the compositor turned a begun letter upside down and showed how unseemly it would be to write anything from the bottom to the top or from the right to the left with other things of like kind with which whole volumes might have been filled with such harmless fooleries we squandered our precious time while it could have occurred to none of us that anything would chance to proceed out of our circle which would awaken a general sensation and bring us into not the best repute. Gallert may have taken little pleasure in his practicum, and if perhaps he took pleasure in giving some directions as to prose and poetical style, he did it most privately only to a few, among whom we could not number ourselves. Professor Clodius thought to fill the gap which thus arose in the public instruction he had gained some renown in literature criticism and poetry and as a young lively obliging man found many friends both in the university and in the city Gallert himself referred us to the lectures now commenced by him and as far as the practical manner was concerned we remarked little difference he too only criticised details corrected likewise with red ink, and one found oneself in company with mere blunders, without a prospect as to where the right was to be sought. I had brought to him some of my little labours, which he did not treat harshly, but just at this time they wrote to me from home that I must, without fail, furnish a poem for my uncle's wedding. I felt far removed from that light and frivolous period in which a similar thing would have given me pleasure." and since i could get nothing out of the actual circumstance itself i determined to trick out my work in the best manner with extraneous ornament i therefore convened all olympus to consult about the marriage of a Frankfurt lawyer and seriously enough to be sure as well became the festival of such an honourable man venus and themis had quarrelled for his sake but a roguish prank which amore played the latter gained the suit for the former, and the gods decided in favour of the marriage. My work by no means displeased me. I received from home a handsome letter in its praise, took the trouble to have another fair copy, and hoped to exhort some applause from my professor also. But here I missed my aim. He took the matter severely, and as he did not notice the tone of parody which nevertheless lay in the notion, He declared the great expenditure of divine means for such an insignificant human end, in the highest degree, reprehensible. Invade against the use and abuse of such mythological figures as a false habit originating in pedantic times, found the expression now too high, now too low, and in diverse particulars had indeed not spared the red ink, though he asserted that he had yet done too little such pieces were read aloud and criticised anonymously it is true but we used to watch each other and it remained no secret that this unfortunate assembly of the gods was my work yet since his critique when i took his point of view seemed to be perfectly just and those divinities more nearly inspected were in fact only hollow shadow forms i cursed all olympus flung the whole mythic pantheon away and from that time amor and luna have been the only divinities which at all appear in my little poems among the persons whom beriche had chosen as the butt of his wit Clodius stood just at the head nor was it hard to find a comical side in him being of small stature rather stout and thick-set he was violent in his motions somewhat impetuous in his utterances and restless in his demeanour in all this he differed from his fellow citizens who nevertheless willingly put up with him on account of his good qualities and the fine promise which he gave he was usually commissioned with the poems which had become necessary on festive occasions in the so-called ode he followed the manner employed by ramler whom however it alone suited but clodius as an imitator had especially marked the foreign words by means of which the poems of ramler come forth with the majestic pomp, which because it is conformable to the greatness of his subject and the rest of his poetic treatment produces a very good effect on the ear feelings and imagination in clodius on the contrary these expressions had a heterogeneous air since his poetry was in other respects not calculated to elevate the mind in any manner now we had often been obliged to see such poems printed and highly lauded in our presence and we found it highly offensive that he who had sequestered the heathen gods from us now wished to hammer together another ladder to parnassus out of greek and roman word rungs these oft-recurring expressions stamped themselves firmly on our memory and in a merry hour when we were eating some most excellent cakes in the kitchen gardens parenthesis, it all at once struck me to put together these words of might and power in a poem on the cake baker Händel. no sooner thought than done and let it stand here too as it was written on the wall of the house with a lead pencil a hendel dessen room vom zum Norden right wirven den Palm, der Su deinem Ohren statt. Du bachst, was Golin und Briten im Sieg suchen, mit Schopfischen Genie, originale Kuchen. das Kaffees Ocean, der Sieg vor der ergist, ist Sussef aus der Zaft Der von Heimitus fließt. Dein Haus ein Monument, wie wir den Kunstern lohnen, umhängen mit Trofen ersaut den Nationen. Auch ohne Dirdem fand Händel hier sein Glück und Rapti dem kothurn gar Monch acht groschen stu blindst deine urn der engst in majesteistchen pompe dann weint der patriot an deinem katakombe doch leb dein torres se von idler brut ein nest steh hoc wie der olymp wie der parnassus fest Kein Phalanx, Griechenland mit römischen Ballisten vermöge Germanien und Handel zu so verwüsten. Dein Wohl ist unser Stolz, dein Leiden unser Schmerz, und Handels Tempel ist der musensohnen Herz. The humor of the above consists not in the thoughts but in the particular words employed these have no remarkable effect in english as to us the words of latin origin are often as familiar as those which have teutonic roots and these form the chief peculiarity of the style we have therefore given the poem in the original language with the peculiar words as indicated by goethe in italics and subjoin a literal translation it will be observed that we have said that the peculiarity consists chiefly not solely in the use of the foreign words for there are two or three instances of unquestionably german words which are italicized on account of their high-sounding pomp o handel whose fame extends from south to north Hear the pan which ascends to thine ears, thou bakest that which Gauls and Britons industriously seek thou bakest with creative genius original cakes, the ocean of coffee which pours itself out before thee is sweeter than the juice which flows from Hymetus, thy house a monument, how we reward the arts hung around with trophies tells the nations even without a diadem handel formed his fortune here and robbed the corthurnus of many an eight groschen piece when thy urn shines hereafter in majestic pomp then will the patriot weep at thy catacomb but live let thy bed parenthesis. And parenthesis be the nest of a noble brood stand high as olympus and firm as parnassus may no phalanx of greek with roman ballisto be able to destroy germania and handel thy wheel is our pride thy woe our pain and handel's temple is the heart of the sons of the muses end of translation this poem had its place for a long time among many others which disfigured the walls of that room without being noticed and we who had sufficiently amused ourselves with it forgot it altogether amongst other things a long time afterwards clodius came out with his maiden whose wisdom magnanimity and virtue we found infinitely ridiculous much as his first representation of the piece was applauded that evening when we met together in the wine-house, I made a prologue in doggerel verse in which harlequin steps out with two great sacks, places them on each side of the proscenium, and after various preliminary jokes tells the spectators in confidence that in the two sacks moral ascetic dust is to be found, which the actors will very frequently throw into their eyes. One, to wit, was filled with good deeds that cost nothing, and the other with splendidly expressed opinions that had no meaning behind them. He reluctantly withdrew, and sometimes came back, earnestly exhorted the spectators to attend to his warning, and shut their eyes, reminded them that he had always been their friend, and meant well with them, with many more things of the kind. This prologue was acted in the room on the spot, by friend horn but the jest remained quite among ourselves not even a copy had been taken and the paper was soon lost however horn who had performed the harlequin very prettily took it into his head to enlarge my poem to handel by several verses and then to make it refer to madame he read it to us but we could not take any pleasure in it for we did not find the additions even ingenious while the first poem being written for quite a different purpose seemed to us disfigured our friend displeased with our indifference or rather censure may have shown it to others who found it new and amusing copies were now made of it to which the reputation of clodius's medan gave at once a rapid publicity universal disapproval was the consequence and the originators it was soon found out that the poem had proceeded from our parenthesis, were severely censured for nothing of the sort had been seen since chronic's and russ attacks upon Gutshed. we had besides already secluded ourselves and now found ourselves quite in the case of the owl with respect to the other birds in dresden too they did not like the affair and it had for us serious if not unpleasant consequences for some time already count Lindenau had not been quite satisfied with his son's tutor for although the young man was by no means neglected and bariche kept himself either in the chamber of the young court or at least close to it when the instructors gave their daily lessons regularly frequented the lectures with him never went out in the daytime without him and accompanied him in all his walks yet the rest of us were always to be found in apple's house and joined them whenever they went on a pleasure ramble this already excited some attention Barish too accustomed himself to our society and at last towards nine o'clock in the evenings generally transferred his pupil into the hands of the valet de chambre and went in quest of us to the wine-house whither however he never used to come but in shoes and stockings with his sword by his side and commonly his hat under his arm the jokes and fooleries which he generally started went on ad infinitum thus for instance one of our friends had a habit of going away precisely at ten because he had a connection with a pretty girl with whom he could converse only at that hour we did not like to lose him and one evening when we sat very happily together barish secretly determined that he would not let him off this time at the stroke of ten the other arose and took leave Berish called after him and begged him to wait a moment as he was just going with him he now began in the most amusing manner first to look after his sword which stood just before his eyes and in buckling it on behaved awkwardly so that he could never accomplish it he did this too so naturally that no one took offence at it but when to vary the theme he at last went farther so that the sword came now on the right side now between his legs and universal laughter arose in which the man in a hurry who was likewise a merry fellow chimed in and let Berouche have his own way till the happy hour was past when, for the first time, there followed general pleasure and agreeable conversation till deep into the night. Unfortunately, Bariche and we, through him, had a certain other propensity for some girls, who were better than their reputation, by which our own reputation could not be improved. We had often been seen in their garden, and we directed our walks thither, even when the young count was with us. All this may have been treasured up and at last communicated to his father. Enough! He sought in a gentlemanly manner to get rid of the tutor to whom the event proved fortunate. His good exterior, his knowledge and talents, his integrity, which no one could call in question, had won him the affection and esteem of distinguished persons, on whose recommendation he was appointed tutor to the hereditary prince of Dessau and at the court of a prince, excellent in every respect, found a solid happiness. The loss of a friend like berich was of the greatest consequence to me. He had spoiled while he cultivated me, and his presence was necessary, if the pains he had thought good to spend upon me were in any degree to bring forth fruit for society. He knew how to engage me in all kinds of pretty and agreeable things, in whatever was just appropriate and to bring out my social talents but as i had gained no self-dependence in such things so when i was alone again i immediately relapsed into my confused and crabbed disposition which always increased the more discontented i was with those around me since i fancied that they were not contented with me with the most arbitrary caprice i took offence at what i might have considered an advantage thus alienated many with whom i had hitherto been on a tolerable footing and on account of the many disagreeable consequences which i had drawn on myself and others whether by doing or leaving undone by doing too much or too little was obliged to hear the remark from my well-wishers that i lacked experience the same thing was told me by every person of sound sense who saw my productions especially when these referred to the external world i observed this as well as i could but found in it little that was edifying and was still forced to add enough of my own to make it only tolerable i had often pressed my friend barish too that he would make plain to me what was meant by experience but because he was full of nonsense he put me off with fair words from one day to another and at last after great preparations disclosed to me that true experience was properly when one experiences how an experienced man must experience in experiencing his experience now when we scolded him outrageously and called him to account for this he assured us that a great mystery lay hidden behind these words which we could not comprehend until we had experienced and so on without end for it cost him nothing to talk on in that way by the quarter of an hour since the experience would always become more experienced and at last come to true experience when we were about to despair at such fooleries he protested that he had learned this way of making himself intelligible and impressive from the latest and greatest authors Who had made us observe how one can rest a restful rest and how silence in being silent can constantly become more silent by chance an officer who came among us on furlough was praised in good company as a remarkable sound-minded and experienced man who had fought through the seven years war and had gained universal confidence IT WAS NOT DIFFICULT FOR ME TO APPROACH HIM, AND WE OFTEN WENT WALKING WITH EACH OTHER. THE IDEA OF EXPERIENCE HAD ALMOST BECOME FIXED IN MY BRAIN, AND THE CRAVING TO MAKE IT CLEAR TO ME PASSIONATE. BEING OF A FRANK DISPOSITION, I DISCLOSED TO HIM THE UNEASINESS IN WHICH I FOUND MYSELF. HE SMILED AND WAS KIND ENOUGH TO TELL ME, AS AN ANSWER TO MY QUESTION, SOMETHING OF HIS OWN LIFE and generally of the world immediately about us from which indeed little better was to be gathered than that experience convinces us that our best thoughts wishes and designs are unattainable and that he who fosters such vagaries and advances them with eagerness is especially held to be an inexperienced man Yet, as he was a gallant good fellow, he assured me that he had himself not quite given up these vagaries, and felt himself tolerably well off with the little faith, love, and hope which remained. He then felt obliged to tell me a great deal about war, about the sort of life in the field, about skirmishes and battles, especially so far as he had taken part in them when these vast events by being considered in relation to a single individual gained a very marvellous aspect i then led him on to an open narration of the state situation of the court which seemed to me quite like a tale i heard of the bodily strength of augustus the second of his many children and his vast expenses then of his successor's love of art and of making collections of count Bruhl and his boundless love of magnificence which in detail appeared almost absurd of his numerous banquets and gorgeous amusements which were cut off by frederick's invasion of saxony the royal castles now lay in ruins Bruhl's splendors were annihilated and of the whole a glorious land much injured alone remained. When he saw me astonished at that mad enjoyment of fortune, and then grieved by the calamity that followed, and informed me that one expects from an experienced man exactly this, that he shall be astonished at neither the one nor the other, nor take too lively an interest in them i felt a great desire still to remain a while in the same experience as hitherto in which desire he strengthened me and very urgently entreated me for the present at least always to cling to agreeable experiences and to try to avoid those that were disagreeable as much as possible if they should intrude themselves upon me but once when the discussion was again about experience in general and i related to him those ludicrous phrases of my friend barish he shook his head smiling and said there one sees how it is with words which are only once uttered these sound so comical nay so silly that it would seem almost impossible to put a rational meaning into them and yet perhaps the attempt might be made and when i pressed him he replied in his intelligent, cheerful manner, If you will allow me, while commenting on and completing your friend's observations, to go on after his fashion, I shall. I think he meant to say that experience is nothing else than that one experiences what one does not wish to experience, which is what it amounts to, for the most part, at least in this world. End of section 24